Hello, everyone. My name is Grace. I'm your host for this podcast, Life Designer. In this podcast, I'm always so honored, so pleased, and so intimidated to interview amazing talents all around the world, across all different industries. They are artists, professionals, entrepreneurs, slash everything, and they are all on the journey to pursue the mission with a passion. Without further ado, today I have a very special guest today, Amy. Joining my podcast. So, who is Amy? Just a nerd. She's wearing a lot of the hats.、Uh, she's a screenwriter, author of the book of failures, and we're all a mess. It's okay. Both books are the top seller on Amazon Humor and Entertainment. TED speaker of Finding the Funny in the Crummy. Co-host of the popular show In the Burbs, comedian, actor, and bad dancer, according to herself. This is a true multi-hyphenate who constantly brings so much joy and love to this world. In this podcast, making a pivot is always a key phrase of my guest stories, which in Amy's case was to shift from being a corporate trainer to a comedy writer. I'm so drawn to Amy's creative world and personal charm because of her sense of the humor and authenticity. Our life is riddled with pain, disappointment, and failures, but she embraces them through the lens of the humor. She further translates her humor to creativity, which becomes such an uplifting guideline in others' life. She is also one of the kindest person with the generous heart to serve others. I truly can't wait to share her amazing story with you. And let's dive into the conversation. Hello, Amy. Welcome to my podcast. Hi, Grace. Thank you for inviting me.、And、hello, everybody in Australia. This is the first introduction that I've had to Australia, so I'm so excited. And we say hello to you from Atlanta, Georgia, which is very hot right now. I'm sure it's it's uh it's cold where you are, right? So are、yes. we opposites? Yeah, opposite. It's really hot here. One <laughs> hundred.、Oh, and I love your podcast, and I'm so a fan of your podcast. And I I love the guests that you pick, and I feel a little bit intimidated because the level of the guests that you pick are really amazing. So I feel very very honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh my God! Let's just wrap up the here. Let's just end the here. <laughs> That's all I need to hear. <laughs> Thank you so much. Say this in all I say. Generous, right? <laughs> Generous compliment. Thank you so much, Amy. <laughs> yeah,、right. yeah. Um. So, first question from the outside look inside, we see you thriving in the creative industry, like so seamlessly, right? So naturally. But trace back to the very first professional life. You were in the corporate training business sector. So, could you walk us through this journey of you pivoting from the corporate world to the creative industry? Is there any Tipping point where you decide to take the leap of the face, or it's more like organic evolving into this creative journey. Okay,、yes. I pivoted in a very big way. A lot of things going on at once because I got remarried.、Uh, before I was got remarried, I was, as you said, a corporate trainer, which、uh, required me to travel about half the time, and so fifty percent of the time. And I had a young daughter at the time; she was four or five, and、um, but she was either with her dad or she was with my mom. You know, she's going to school, or she's with my sister because my sister was a nanny. So, and I was, you know, at the time, a single mom. I mean, I had to provide a life. 
life or my daughter. And so I did, I did have to travel a lot. And then I, a couple of years later, getting remarried, when I got remarried, my husband had um, three kids. So I went from having working all the time and really only having my daughter about half the time to my husband's like, Hey, now we're going to have four kids. And this one goes to dance and this one goes to football and this one goes to violin. And this one does this. Would you consider staying home? And I said, yes, I would not recommend that. If your husband asks you to stay home, unless you really want to do it, because it really was a part of me, you know, that working, working part. So I ended up staying home and immediately I was like, this is a mistake. And um, so somebody recommended, I go to this very large church where I live and they have this amazing kids program that our kids had always been a part of. And someone's like, you should apply to be an actor with this group. And I was like, I'll never, I'm not an actress. I'll never get that. And they're like, you should apply. And so I was like, okay. So they literally gave you like these postcards one week at church. Like, Hey, if you're interested in doing anything, you know, directing traffic or being a host or whatever. So I applied. I auditioned. They give you the script and I auditioned. And it was like um, a panel, very much like American Idol. You know, you're up on the stage and they're they're watching you. So I just go up there with like this crazy energy. I ended up like running around the room. And I was kind of like, ta-da! You know, and they're like, don't call us. We'll call you. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go... <laughs> And like a week later, I call them and I was like, hi, just following up. Did I get the part? And they're like, no, no, really don't call us. (laughs) We'll call you. And I was like, okay. So another almost month went by and finally they called me and they're like, okay, yeah, you got it. And then I found out I was like the only person to audition that could actually do the part. Like, you know, it it was a big commitment. It was like every Sunday, you know, from like eight to 12 or whatever. And so I got that part because no one else could do it. And then I ended up staying there for 10 years. But anyway, I started writing for them. I started writing the little scripts and it was so fun. So that kind of gave me the writing bug. And then after that, I was like, oh, I love these little scripts. I want to write a bigger script. That's when I wrote my screenplay. And then, um, you know, the story, because I shared with you prior, but I was trying to get representation for my screenplay in LA. And um, I had been referred to a agent, a Hollywood attorney. He's not an agent. He's an attorney. And he's like, um, I'm not going to represent you. You're nobody. You don't know anyone. You don't have any money. I was like, that makes me really effing sad. And he started laughing. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you some free advice. He's like, you should start a, a book. You should write a book or you should start a blog because you you can't just waltz into Hollywood and, and not be searchable. He's like, you need it. When someone types in Amy Lyle, you better come up with something about comedy, you know, whatever. So I did that. So that's why I, I literally when I was still on the phone with them, well, I was like, what would I write about? And he's like, write what you know. And he hung up on me. And literally it came to my mind. I'm like, I have had a lot of failures. I started writing that day. And then real quickly, it's like, I tried to get a lot of press for the book. I was very lucky. I got picked up by Atlanta and company, a morning show in Atlanta. And I started out just as a guest with a three minute segment. And it was so fun. And I meshed with the ladies. The hosts are so nice, Christina. Player and Karen Ear, that they're like, can you stay for the end of the show? Like they had a filler that was like, you know, 10 to 15 minutes at the end. And it was
was kind of like a round table normally of women. And we talk about different subjects, parenting or being married and stuff. And so that went really well. And so then they invited me back in two weeks. And then after I did that, they invited me back. And so I was a guest on there every two weeks for three years. So anyway, it was just like this weird, this whole time, all I was trying to do was sell a screenplay. That's all I wanted. But by getting a little bit of press, it ended up, I got invited by Sam Jurgens to be in a film of his called The Interviewers that ended up winning Best Comedy at a film festival. And then I started doing speaking events in my area for charities or for some paid events, some free events. That kind of gave me the bug. I'm like, maybe I'll do speaking engagement. So I started to want to do a TED Talk. Anyway, that's what happened is I I was a working person, a working mom, and I became a stay-at-home mom and I just needed an outlet. And so I started, you know, writing the books and I started writing for a magazine and doing speaking engagements. And that's, and that's how that happened. It happened um, kind of by accident, but I'm so happy that it all happened because I'm looking back. I would never think I could do any of that. Like if someone told me 10 years ago, like, oh, you're going to write two books. And I just would be like, what? Yeah, you're going to write two books. You're going to be on the TV. You're going to be in the movies. Right, yeah, right. No, 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 no. I'm, yeah, I'm just, you know. No, that. I'm a writer. So I, I I would be like, no, no, I don't. I wouldn't want any of that. But then it's been so fun to do all that. And it stretches you. You and I both have that in common where we like to explore their cultures. We like to adventure. And um, so it, it's been the best times of your life, I think, when you're doing something you don't really know how to do, but you overcome it and you learn how to do it. And maybe you're not great at first, but then you get better. And I started doing stand-up comedy in Atlanta, which I always wanted to do, but I was scared to do. So I took a class. So it just led to all these um, interesting creative things. Wow. And every part of the journey you experienced it was not that much by grand design. As you said, when I look at back, I never thought that I'm capable of doing that. You know, this, you are just like all of us all got the fear, the self-doubts, but that didn't really stand in your way of exploring this possibility there. It's amazing, but also, yeah, sometimes I just feel like as a human, we shared that sense of feeling about their limit. This is my limit. There's no way I can break my limit. But then there are just so many living version like you the, all the living examples sitting up there to say I'm actually come from that initial place where I got so much self-doubt to where I'm standing now but this podcast I always want to dig in a little bit tracing back to when the first time you put yourself out there on the church stage is all the beginning of the story triggered frequency of all you went you're actually starting as acting right so right. when you were a kid were you like literally already a bit interesting acting things or because no. I was never going to be voluntarily putting myself on the stage. So No, and I didn't think it was being an actor. It was like, it's a very, very big church. And so I had second and third graders. That's it. So there were probably like 300, you know, second and third graders. And so it's like, I'm not scared of second and third graders. I mean, they don't know if I mess up. And so really it was like, I was the host. So I came out and kind of warmed up the crowd. And it was always a funny role where you tell, hey, this month, you know, we're going to be focusing on... you know, and to be a certain character trait, like being loving others or being responsible or, you know, whatever. Um, and then we play like a super fun game or we have dance parties. And so it was, I didn't think of it at all as being an actor, even though there was a script you had to memorize. It was just being on stage and kind of being funny in front of a bunch of kids. And it was so funny. And they were so honest. Like if you did a great job, you could tell. And then like, sometimes they would make me sing. I cannot sing at all. And so 
literally the kids would boo if I had to sing. <laughs> they'd be like, and they try to make me sing these current songs. Like at the time, it was like Justin Bieber, and I can't sing. One time, they made me try to chant like you're at camp, like na na na, and I couldn't do that. And I mean, it was just silent. Either silent, or like boo. And so um, that prepared me definitely for stand-up comedy. You know, you have to be able to to think on your feet and get it back going. But it, it was a really fun experience, and it was even more fun, even more fun than the writing room because they're like 20 people and they're all fun and creative. And this church, you know, I'd want to propose something. I'd be like, I want baby pools all over the place filled with balls. And we're going to play this game. Or I want a thousand balloons on the ceiling that are going to draw. And then I can remember one time I was like, is that too expensive? And they're like, that's not your job to think of something's expensive. Your job is to come up with the most fun, most creative things that you can. And you let us figure out how to do it economically. So they might tweak my idea a little bit, but they always went with the concept. It was really fun experience to, and then what was weird is I would write the scripts. This is crazy. I'd write the scripts. And then a few months later, cause they were always written, you know, months in advance. And then I would get to perform my own script that I wrote, which was weird. And then this church, they would give these scripts. It would be even just in Atlanta alone, over 10,000 kids hearing mm-hmm. your script. It was a really fun time. And I was like a celebrity in the grocery store. You know, if I was in the grocery store, little kids would be like, oh, it's the upstairs lady. It was so cute. Photos, photos. Yeah. But I think it's almost like a dream come true to actually get to perform the scripts, you know? No, I know I would never, my own script, I would, I don't want to be like, that was one of the first questions they asked me. They're like, do you want to star in your movie? I was like, no. And they're like, do you want to direct the movie? I was like, no, but I do want a cameo in the movie where I'm a woman with this neck brace on. (laughs) And every time you see the neck brace has different things on it. Like maybe it has dogs on it one day or guinea pig, like, you know, if Christmas maybe it has Santa Claus or something, but and she does, she never has very many lines. You know, I just want like a funny cameo, but even if they don't give me that, I don't care, but it and was I- fun. It was so fun. And also it's like pretty much maximizing all your talents. You know, this is where you get to <laughs> performing. Yeah, of course, that's a big part. But writing, because I know it's like your big passion, right? Like pursue like ultimate goal. And also now you see the dots connected. Until today, you are writing scripts and you performed as a comedian on the stages. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back over the last 10 years, you got all your outlet funded. You got all the pieces together. I think that formulated very concrete the idea what you really wanted to do and you are still hosting the local the tv shows in the burbs right oh yes in the burbs yes Great that's show. a little different because that's grown-ups and it's live versus you know like so sometimes we really do make mistakes but it's live television so we just have to like sometimes i can't get my words out it's like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And then that's on television, but it's live TV. So it that's good for us too. Cause it's like, it's fast. You have to think on your feet and it's really fun. And I mean, on in the burbs, we interview, sometimes we interview very serious guests with serious topics, but normally we keep it kind of light and we have a lot of, um, a lot of fun with whoever the guest is. It could be an author. It could be a professional organizer. It could be a sex therapist, you know, whoever it is, we try to have a lot of fun, but you're right with most of the things that I do almost everything I do, there is the one common thing is it has an element of humor because that's my 
passion is, you know, finding the humor, even in the weirdest places. So that's, I guess that's what people are like, gosh, it's kind of all over the place, but really that's what they have in common is the humor piece. Yeah. Because humor, that's just how they got me to connect you in the very first place. That's just the biggest trademark of the Emmys and everything you're doing, as you said. So there's key elements there is the humor, right? Yeah. And also you're such a funny person to hang out with. <laughs> so very simple. We're going to hang out. We're going to hang out in Sydney. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I will listen to a visual invite. And uh, yeah, that's what I said. Like humor is just such a chemistry. You know, like for you, maybe it's natural. I think it very fundamentally that really comes with the natural. But you want to become a funny person. And later on in your life, you feel like, oh, that's something I can really, really need it. <laughs> you know, you're always right. in the many moments of the life. But yeah, so. So in this podcast, uh, humor, this is the new category. Finally, yeah, I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can feel it. It is the <laughs> most important category. The most important category. I always wanted to find the perfect person to fill in. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been told so many people like how much humor means to me and how much I appreciate the person with the sense of the humor. And um, I'm still going to read my questions. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because on the deeper level, I think the humor is like, ultimate optimism and resilience building a person's fury, character. Oh, I think that's the inner strength and the power. So that's why I really wanted to dig in here. Tell us how the humor works on you personally, professionally, yeah, creatively. Violent home. My dad was very violent. You know, my mom was, she was kind of violent too, actually. So my sister and I grew up in this like ragey environment. It's very scary. Anyone that came from an abused family, this is usually the case. What's so bad about it is you don't know how the person's going to be that day. One day if they came in and they're fine. And then the next day they come in and the same exact thing happens. They're out of control and ragey. And so that's a very scary environment to be in. And um, I don't know if you remember, but I actually opened my TED talk with that. Like I grew up in an environment where the safest place to be, you know, was not home. That's not the safest place for my sister and I was not to be was at home. And so she and I, that's what we bond. That's what saved us is our sense of humor. Like even in the darkest moments of something going on with rage with my parents or whatever, we could just look at each other and be like, and you, I, you know, I knew what she was thinking and she knew what I was thinking like, look at these crazy people, you know, like even at a young age, we're like, these people are violent, throwing things and everything. And so anyway, we used to do comedy, even when we were very, very young, we didn't really know what we were doing because we were so little, but you know, what we were doing was trying to make sense of our surroundings. Right. And so we would do like little skits, like as most children do, they do little plays and skits and um, we would only do it for each other or our friends. But our, our biggest thing is we would imitate our parents. And, you know, it would be so funny to have like five-year-old being, you know, raging everything. And um, anyway, it's my parents have calmed down now and everything's worked out. But um, I think if you have a passion for comedy, like I do, and especially stand-up comedians, like I love Kevin Hart. I love Bill Burr. I love, you know, Amy Schumer. I I love so many comedians. And when you find out their background, and, and a lot of times that's what comedians talk about and they make light of it is, you know, Kevin Hart makes light that his dad was addicted to drugs, you know, Eddie Murphy, you know, makes light, you know, comedians make light of their childhood because that's how you're coping. I know this is a a big stretch, but it's a little bit like when someone says um, to you, me too, and not just in the me too movement, even in that 
area. When someone says that happened to me too, that has such a powerful effect on the person that it happened to. If you say, oh, I had a death in the family or, oh, I came from this ragey environment. And someone says, oh, I grew up in a ragey environment too. You're like, and you just immediately feel understood. And something is a weight is released from you. And it's also good for the person that is telling you that because you know what I mean? You have a community there. That's where the comedy stem from. And then it just kind of like developed. I'm not going to say a class clown because I wasn't in trouble, but I was definitely always like the funniest person in our group. You know what I mean? Like if you had a group of girls, it'd be like this person's super athletic. That person's like the beauty queen. She's really pretty. That person's like super nice and soft-spoken. And then if, if you were asked people to describe me, be like, oh, she's so funny. And, um, you know, people, oh, you remind me of Carol Burnett or you remind me of Irma Baumbach or you remind me of Kristen Wiig or Molly Shannon or whatever. And I'm like, that's the biggest compliment that somebody could give a funny person is tell them they're, oh, you remind me of Tina Fey. It's like, what, what, you know? (laughs) You do, you do, seriously, you do. And then then in business, you know, I was always in, I grew up in sales and then eventually got a corporate trainer job. But even in a a tense, tight sales meeting where you're talking about millions of dollars, uh, I worked in the staffing business. So like signing a big staffing contract or something and you'd be in the room and they'd be like, well, what's this going to cost us? You know, and I'd be like, oh, so much. It's going to cost so much, you know, and they would just, they'd be like, oh, I can't believe those words just came out of her mouth. You know, most people would be like, oh, we'll make you a deal or whatever. It's so, it's just always served me well. And then when I was a corporate trainer and I was in my thirties and all these kids that I were training, they were right out of college. So to hold their attention, it's kind of boring stuff. You know, I was teaching people how to be a technical trainer. Some of it's kind of dry, the technology part of it. So it's just always served me well to add an element and you can still be professional, but add a little bit of humor. And on that note, Grace, I wanted to share real quickly. And I I know that you agree with this. It's like, what happens if you're in a company and everybody is really serious and nobody like your boss never shares that they've made any mistakes ever. And they're never funny. It creates a real tense environment Mm -hmm. versus if you're in an environment and someone shares, like, let's say if a new employer, like, Hey, this is the first time you're going to this big meeting. Don't make this mistake that I made and you share a true funny story that is a failure, you really build a lot of trust with your team, right? Perfection is really a repellent. Nobody wants to hang out with perfect people. People want to follow perfect people on Instagram or whatever, because they're pretty or they're rich, but really you don't want to hang out with somebody that seems perfect. You really want to hang out with people that have some self-depreciation to them because you're doing life together, right? Like you're like, oh, I can't believe I made this mistake. And the person's like, oh, I made that mistake too. And you're talking about highly successful people also make mistakes. And so if they can take that mistake, add a little bit of humor to it, it really builds trust within your team, even in a work environment. And so I think there's a place for humor everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we can apply humor in all the aspects of our life. In your case, growing up, like upbringing the family environment. So the humor is uh, the safety lay, right? You create it for yourself. And also, I'm so great with you that comedian or this the comedy writer who they speak one, you know, they speak a name. They often actually come from like some of the broken family. Yeah. And actually, you named quite a few like Americans. In China, we have this big comedian and uh, Stephen Cho. I'm not sure where you heard about it, but it's such an iconic 
big one. They have become comedian not because they have perfect happy life. It's often optics. Right. Maybe yeah. they were bullied or bullied or, poor. or maybe they had even a lot of people have learning disabilities. And at the time that wasn't recognized, you know, like if you had dyslexia or something 25 years ago, it was just missed. And here you're probably usually a really smart person. You just had dyslexia. And so then it would distract, you know, people. So it's comedy usually comes from a place of pain. It, it does. And it'd be interesting to see how many comedians are like, oh yeah, I came from a great background and maybe there are. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive that they can be so funny and not have yeah, I would be like, you're not traumatized and you're a stand-up comic. What? Because most people that you meet, and I'm like, you know what? My girlfriend, Gina, that's my co-host on In the Burbs. I saw her. She did not have a traumatic childhood and she's really funny, but she's had some traumatic things happen in her life. So maybe it's not always from her childhood, but it's, it maybe it stems from something, but I'm happy for anyone that can be super funny that doesn't have, I don't wish it. Yeah. You don't want to know people. Don't traumatize your children. Don't traumatize. Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted to say. The humor didn't discriminate backgrounds or anything. So we all need the humor. I'm growing up in a functional family. I still need the humor, that element in my life. Uh, You may not have a traumatized childhood, but life is not going to be, you know, play easy on you. And at this this point in my life, I never see any one person, maybe just one person. I never see anyone except that person has been, you know, (laughs) living that perfect life, perfectly happy. I never see anyone like that. They all have to go through different hurdles. That's why I highly appreciate it, the humor. And um, I still relate to you because of this connector humor. Yeah. So I think we need the humor to diffuse a lot of things. Definitely need more humor today. We still need more humor. On the flip side, you know, last time when we chat, you know, I also addressed that comedian often find them being in a very dedicated position where there seems to be a very fine lines between making someone laugh and uh, offended someone. And we both are on the same page that we never should create the jokes and the cost of others. I think, you know, like... Yeah, I yeah. don't. Yeah, I don't like yeah. that. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, be kind, be nice. Right. Yes. I think the best comedians make fun of themselves, you know, like... My favorite, Eddie Murphy, too. He doesn't really go at people. He really, his comedy was um, at himself. So, but, you know, again, just because that's not my style doesn't mean they don't have the freedom to do it. They can do it. It's just not my preference. I like self-depreciating humor because nobody can really pick on you. Well, you think nobody can pick on you if you're just making fun of yourself. Yeah, yeah. pick on you even if you're making fun of pick on you. Right. Uh, you and I discussed it last time. It was like, you know, I write a book with 300 pages of my own failures. And I mean, really embarrassing failures from like falling down the steps in front of my whole company to having an unfortunate pooping my pants situation at a concert, like really embarrassing moments. And people still were like, you, you know, like, you know, criticizing. And I'm just like, okay, if you can't laugh at that, I'm really sorry that the state that you're in, you know, it's just like, yeah. And the best part is they pick on me like in chapter five and then they're like, and then in chapter 17, then they're like, and then chapter 57. And I'm kind of like, if you hate this book so much, why do you read it? Why do you keep reading? I think you're that big fan of yours, you know, (laughs) (laughs) maybe then you remember which chapter, you know, it's your fun. So yeah. (laughs) That's what my girlfriend said. She goes, I don't know who, I think a famous person said this, but my girlfriend's the one that said it to me. And she goes, but if they keep coming at you, they're a fan bitch <laughs> that's what she said
a little bit creepy, but this is what a creepy fan would do. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know, but I'm with you. I like self depreciating humor or just observational humor, and、um, not a lot of like attack attack humor. I don't like、yeah. that. Because, But teach、uh, his own. Yeah, because ultimately, you know, the goal of being the humor person is to bring some joys to. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like later we are incapable, you know, of attacking anyone verbally or any other way. And also, I wanted to say I had such tremendous respect on comedian, and the reason I think already covered it. I think is you need an incredible amount of the strength to fulfill to play this part of making people laugh. That leads to a better place, a better world. You know, some people are just serious, right? This is the personality thing. It's also the gift, and you, as I said, you leverage that gift. Yeah, you channel into like the creativity, and you becoming comedian, and you writing it, performing it. So you really didn't really waste of your gift and all. Yeah, so that is a very blessing thing because we need more comedian in the world. Yeah, so it's so funny you say that because I was at lunch with one of my good friends, and she's she's so talented. She's like a real actress in you know bigger films. She's amazing singer, and she just her talents are so apparent. You know what I mean? She's a beautiful singing voice. She's a very talented actress. And so we were at lunch one day, and I was like, "Gosh, you just develop these gifts. You know, you're so talented." And I just am trying to figure out what my gifts are because you know it was kind of like, "Okay, I'm doing a little bit of stand up comedy, and I'm written the books, and doing the little you know a little bit of the shows, and doing some speaking engagements." And she just looked at me, and she's like, "Your gift is to make people laugh." And feel better about their failures. She's、mm-hmm. like, that's why God put you here to make people feel better about their lives. That's your gift.、Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never really thought of. I always, when you think of like a gift, I'm, I'm always like, oh, it should be like feeding the hungry or you know、mm-hmm. doing you know those kind. And she's like, yes, that's a gift too that people are doing. But you, this is a gift, just like when she sings and it lifts somebody up. That's a gift too, and she's like, "You're helping other people with this," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I really never thought of that." It made me kind of more comfortable of like, "You're right, that is my gift," and if and I know that it does lift people up because people will write me and just say, "I was having the worst day," and I really relate to you having struggles as a mom or a stepmom, or I relate to you when you were trying to juggle being a mom and being a single mom, you know, working and and having a child and trying to juggle that, and so. And they've even said they're like, well, because you could look back and see it in a funny way. Maybe I could look back on things that happened in my life and maybe try to think of them in a funny way and be able to start to let go of them. And I was like, yes, that's exactly you know what would be great if people could look back on those times and see if they can see anything.、Mm, that's a, that's a so so true. You know, like you are so lucky to have friends who truly see through your true gift and also encourage you to fly with it. <laughs> Actually, um, you know, it really took a bit of time for me to figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing, like what kind of value I added to the world, you know, in the deeper sense. So I think,、right. you know, sometimes you feel like I should be doing something which is more meaningful, like really serve people. I should be a nurse or social workers to、right. say, uh, begin to questioning about to what extent do I contribute to the world? Yes,、yeah, right. So, but I think we all we all have a different kind of the role to play. Um, like the talent thing, the gift thing. I really, really believe.、Like Everyone has some very unique talent. We really needed to find them first of all because it's a hidden talent. We needed to find them, make the most use of it,、uh, tap into the creativity, and then stick to it. I think that's the way to overcome all the self doubts or you know distractions along the way. 
I mean, you can't do it full time. Like let's say got an eight to five job, but you love to draw or you love (laughs) to sing or you love to act or whatever. It's like, if you could just add a little bit of that to your life, you know, maybe you do it on the weekends or you take a class in it or something like that. I think there's so many people that are doing jobs that they don't enjoy. Maybe they have to do that for financial reasons, (laughs) but if they could make a point to do something that they really love a little bit every day day or at least once a week to have them to look forward to, I think it would lift them up a little bit. Cause I, a lot of people just go to work and then they come home and get up and do it again. And they're not really fulfilled by that role. Just mm, yeah. sad. Exactly. Oh, often the time there's also the cases where you may have to still stick to a, the job for the some reality reasons, but doesn't mean you cannot explore something like your creative outlet, you know, something that bring you the joys. I think it's about the awareness. Once people are aware of that, they can choose, they can create. I think that is how they take the first step. By the way, did you draw the, the paintings and your behind? Because you mentioned about the paintings. No. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, I can't draw or sing or dance. <laughs> <laughs> Will you claim you are a bad dancer because I'm doing Zumba as well? I, I am a bad dancer, like pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> and I love to dance. But so I love so it. Yeah. I love it, but I'm terrible. And I didn't think I was terrible until someone videotaped me. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, oh, Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. But I saw a video and I was like, I'm not, I'm not Madonna. I'm not I- Madonna at all. <laughs> but you know oh, what? I'm, I'm not even feel guilty about it because I just no either. Who cares? Uh, not very many people are good dancers anyway. Who cares? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> because I'm doing like almost every day, so that was absolutely the big source of the joy. Like we have this main goal in our life, which is ultimate vision or creative pursuit, everything. And then we add a little bit more joys into our life as well. You know, that could be just hobbies. You know, like um, you know, mm-hmm. just any small thing. That, then we have all this together. I think that's a strong enough then the support us to you know <laughs> to go through like yeah. we are human doesn't matter how big genius you are you still have to eat sleep you still have to cope well very small thing before you can achieve big right yeah so right. yeah so it's nice you know to have all these formulas in our life everything great and that also got me deeper connected to you because we're just on the same boat everything we're doing we all have like this very driven big goal big visions to make everything moves meanwhile we are also so curious about life and we are really trying to live every moment of our life in the best way we can and it turns out we're doing the same we're a bad dancer <laughs> we don't dance well but <laughs> right and you may like painting art and like meal day so yeah there's just so much in common yeah so now i think you pretty much covered all and i feel like when we do this podcast it can totally be unscripted you somehow made my scripts my questions so redundant <laughs> so <laughs> but you also covered everything <laughs> i don't i don't raise the question but you also answer the question <laughs> in your seminary storytelling okay so because this is a great opportunity we have the professional humanist person here so i wanted to know whether you have any tricks tips for people to develop or like exercise them humor muscles you know like master humor as skill because i said that before humor seems to be just natural rooted in your dna if you got it you got it but do you think that can be the skill to be developed or how can we apply humor to navigate our emotion feeling every day 
Yeah, I think, um, okay, I'd like to share two parts of that. So if you're looking to just have more humor in your life, which by the way, if you research humor, there's a lot of humor therapy and you can read statistics about people going through uh, some kind of uh, medical things and adding a humor is a treatment to view so many funny video clips or funny movies or whatever, or read something funny. It's really scientific data that humor really helps you connect with people and it truly lifts your spirits, lifts your endorphins, acts almost as a pain reliever. There's a real serious side of of humor. So I love that all these like laugh therapies are coming up and you can take courses and stuff like that. So you could actually take a course in humor. Like I, I, I'm pretty a naturally funny person, but there's still like a recipe to like writing a script or to writing yeah. a, like being funny at a dinner party is different than being funny on stage. And people are like, no, like look at Kevin Hart. He just tells stories. Boy, but if you listen to him, you'll see that he's doing a punchline. I mean, it's like every 20 seconds, 30 seconds, he's hitting a punchline. It might be a 10 minute story, but it's got a lot of punchlines in there. So it's, it's not just like telling a story at a dinner party. It's, you have to have a setup and a punchline. So you can learn that you could take, read books on that, or you could take a course on that. So you could develop if you wanted to be like a stand-up comedian or a humor writer, you could take a lot of courses on that. But if you wanted to add more humor to your life, um, I recommend, like I, I said this in a Ted talk, keep a journal about your life and write down everything in detail, like, oh, this happened at work today and my boss, you know, and get it all out. And it's therapeutic just to write stuff out, but then go back and look at the journal 30 days later and see what you've written about your children or about your husband or about your boss. You're going to be able to find probably the humor in that. And, um, you know, and another thing is to try to find five funny things a day. It could be a really something on television a good line or a funny meme that you saw on social media or or whatever, something that happened in traffic or something that happened at work or whatever, write them down. You know, humor is a muscle that can be developed. Mm, And so the more you look for it, kind of like I'm trying to practice gratitude. And I just got this great book by Deborah Hawkins about gratitude. It's the same thing. Mm. Developing a gratitude practice is a muscle and it's the same for humor, just like going to the gym. So that would be my advice. If you want to be a humor writer, buy some books. You could probably take a masterclass even on it off the top of my head. I know Judd Apatel teaches a masterclass, but if you want just more humor in your life, read more funny books, watch more funny movies mm. and observe the world. Yeah. Try to, yeah. you know, identify it and it will come to you because some people are not naturally funny at all <laughs> and they're not, they don't see the humor in anything. They just, <laughs> I don't hang out with a lot of those people. Obviously, Grace, you probably don't either because we don't, we don't jive. Like, Right. You're like you're running away from them. You're like, no, no. no, no. <clears throat> the world. Those are the people that sit and troll you. They need more humor in their lives. They have so much sadness and negativity. And if you sit and, and you sit and attack people every day, attack, 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 and try to find the negative, that's what you're gonna see. You're gonna see all negative and they just, you know. Oh my God, yeah. First, yeah, I'm such good at it raising the questions. I ask a really good question, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you do. 
Because what happened is the whole time, even myself, I always feel humor is like gift, right? It comes like spontaneously. Always feel like, oh, that person just literally spontaneous humor. And you really uncover the truth about the humor instead of muscle. Because we talk a lot about a practice gratitude, practice mindfulness, but I haven't really heard that much about the practice of humor. Mm-hmm. Right? So today you just wait together, they say. I would take 10% of the credit. We actually came up with this new <laughs> practice, like <laughs> practice humor. Yeah, I think that's important you know yeah because why not i said to you before i really appreciate your humor because we know this world is not perfect we know uh, life is not about love all the time because we know all the sides of the life the dark side the broke side of the world that's why we appreciate humor so much if we can on technique level develop it you know so we can be more reasoning to diffuse those conflicts in the life to even again create the safety layer emotionally for us why not Right. So um, right. yeah, I mean, writing a joke is like a math problem and there are tricks to it. Like today is always the best time to tell a joke being like seven years ago when I was in the shower, you're like, what, you know, why is that relevant? So that's something is just putting the time you're like this morning, you know, it was always better than last week or whatever. And then also it's just like, if you can tell a joke in six words, don't tell it in seven. Like it's kind of like screenwriting where you have to get to the punchline really quickly. And I'm sure you have a friend that you're thinking that in your mind, you're like, what is the punchline to this story? Get to it. And so that's really important on stage to make sure you keep it moving along and get to it. And then of course there's, you know, tricks like there's funnier words, like some cars are even funnier than other cars. If you're telling a story about driving a car, what are some funny aspects of the car or something happened to the car? Is the car dented all over? Is the car, whatever. Or if you're talking about beer, you know, naming a name of a beer, like Schlitz is a funnier word than beer. And so, you know, that's a reason why you could get a book or take a class. It's just like, if you are naturally funny person, you've already figured figure that out. You've already figured out like, oh, this is a better word. And as you develop your comedy, you're like, oh, if I switch switch this around or use a better word to do that. But you're, you're right. There is a formula for it. It's got like a certain rhythm to it and different comedians, even though they have their own rhythm, they still have a rhythm. You know, you could identify if you were reading something, you could probably identify, Oh, this is a Kevin Hart joke. This is a David joke. This is a humor joke just because they have their own rhythm to it. I, I love that, you know? That's making you the comedian. <laughs> and we may still just stay the level where we make uh, some daily life jokes and make ourselves laugh. And yeah, but you actually make the whole world laugh. We are talking about the game. Oh, I would love to make the whole world laugh. <laughs> of course, that's your mission. That is my goal. Yes. That's your mission. It's your goal. And in nutshell, humor is a little bit mixture. You kind of like need to be still naturally <laughs> since that carrying down a bit. That would be the best ideal case. But later on, down to the track, you can actually develop. You can practice that piece of the muscles. Yeah, just start with a bit of awareness, right? Start today where I wanted to be more joyful person. Even you're not inherently joyful. And uh, thanks for sharing all the tricks and tips. This is so practical. The journal writing. Yeah, we may not reach your level where we structure that punch now because that sounds like a screenwriting. <laughs> that's a little bit above our capacity, but that's just so much pressure. Before I ask you a question, I still a little bit doubt about, hmm, can that person really be go from not funny to funny yeah but i think now the answer should be yes right 
It can, Grace. I mean, when I took the punchline class, which was doing a project and I was waiting for the results of that project. So while I was waiting for the results of that project, I took this class and it really helped me with our writing to make my writing more because I started doing the stand-up comedy before I wrote the books actually a little bit. So mm-hmm. I had, it really helped condense mm-hmm. what you know I was writing. But it was interesting because there were a lot of people in the class that their bosses said, we want you to be more client facing. We want you to do more speaking, but we feel like you cannot, you're not thinking on your feet. You got to be quicker. You got to add something. You're too serious. We want you to take a comedy class. And so you had like these real stern people, like an accountant, you know, or like just these people that you're like, they're not funny. Like somebody works at the water company. You're like, they're not funny. Mm -hmm. And you could tell they were terribly nervous and they were very honest about why they were there. And Justice, he's like an icon in Atlanta and he teaches this class. He's taught it for like 30, 40 years. I'm not even kidding. And um, he would sit and work with them and give you all these things. You do all these fun exercises, like what annoys you? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you hate about your personal appearance? What do you, he would give you all these questions to try to help you identify kind of a, a core script for what you're going to do your stand up comedy routine about. And I am telling you, those people that you thought there's no way they're going to be funny, they were funny, even in their monotone voice, the way they told the joke, they kind of made it funnier because you weren't expecting. They had the recipe where they set it up and they did the punchline. And all of them have said it changed their lives. Oh they, they they don't want ever want to do like stand up comedy again, but they changed their life that they felt like they could now at work go up and do their speech and maybe to add a couple jokes in there and to be not scared. And so that is like a miracle. I mean, that's, I love to see because a lot of us, 90% of the class, we're not, a lot of them were naturally funny and they, we want to do more of it. We want to do more stand up comedy, but then about 10% of the class, their bosses made them go. And it was amazing to see them bloom. It was so fun. So if you're a person, you're like, I could never do stand up comedy. You could. And even if you don't want to do it for a living, there's lots of advantages to taking like a stand up comedy course because it kind of takes you out of your natural yeah. self. Chill. Yeah. And also it's about a charisma, right? Yeah. So right. one magic lesson turn you into like a charismatic person. That was <laughs> that was such right. a no, I'm not saying it turned them into so a uh, charismatic person. Not necessarily yeah but it made them think on their feet and be able to even if they said something in a monotony voice if it was funny it was still funny you know it was cool the way they did that so um yeah it didn't change their personality <laughs> we're still kind of dry and kind of had a boring tone but even in that tone they were able to be funny so I think that's really encouraging mm-hmm. to people if you're thinking that or if someone said oh you're not a good public speaker you're you're not good in public, taking an improv class or taking a, a stand-up comedy class might be really good even for your professional growth. Even if you don't want to be a stand-up comedy yeah. a comedian, obviously, you just want to have more confidence in front of people. That would be a, a fun, well, it's not probably not fun for them, but it would be a good for them to do it even if it's not fun for them. <laughs> oh. Just stretch themselves yeah. in that way. Thank you. Such a valuable sharing. Seriously. You know, we heard that all kind of the course promotion. Any kind. I never heard of one kind of spot of the humor class. Teach you. Yeah. 
funny. Almost like, you know, some of those scams teach you how to become super rich overnight. <laughs> yeah, no, this is in, in Atlanta. <laughs> I mean, you should research it. In your city, I if they have to look for references and see if they check out their social media and all that. But, you know, that's real. It's usually like, you know, 10 to 15 weeks. You meet once a week. And at the end, you have to do a performance. It's only like four or five minutes of a performance. But if I ever take that lessons, I mean, I already naturally funny to yeah enough to deal with life but if I take the lesson that's gonna take me to the next level to become professional you know so (laughs) this is another career jump (laughs) (laughs) yeah um like the whole time I always wanted to have this entire episode around about humor for our audience make them laugh and right now it's really dream come true and the audience (laughs) also walk away with practical lessons we actually turn the humor into some tangible uh, skills yeah so <laughs> that's right this is a very practical podcast this is a very practical 